2: Hello, my name is Tegan Klein, and I am the co-founder and business lead of Edge & Node. My guest today is Doug. Doug is the co-founder and CEO of Livepeer, where they are building a decentralized live video broadcast platform. Doug previously co-founded Wildcard and Hyperpublic and served as the VP in engineering at both. Hyperpublic was acquired by Groupon in February of 2012. We had a great conversation where we talk about the importance of decentralization, the need for video streaming within the decentralized internet, and how LivePeer plays that role, the decision to build on Ethereum, as well as The Graph, fundraising tips and tricks, as well as stories from building through many bear markets, and much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Doug. The show is brought to you by The Graph. The Graph is the decentralizing indexing and query protocol for the decentralized web what google does for the web the graph does for blockchains the graph is one of the most used protocols in the blockchain space powering most of defi nft DAOs, and more thank you so much for tuning in all right doug how was bitcoin miami
1: hey jake thanks for having me on bitcoin miami was uh it was what it was. I think it's kind of the ultimate Rorschach test where everyone going there <laughs> sees something different and wants something different out of it. But for me, it was great to be able to um, be in person with people in the industry for the first time in a year and a half and uh, meet a bunch of our partners, our collaborators, other projects that we work with, um, spend some time um, on recruiting for live peer and uh, get a little sun while I was at it.
2: Amazing. Yeah, it was great to feel kind of the energy and see so many newcomers into the ecosystem. Uh, but that is great. So let's jump in. You previously had a successful exit uh, being acquired by Groupon. Do you want to maybe tell the audience a little bit about that experience?
1: Sure thing. That was uh, the first startup that I was a, a founder of back in uh, 2010 through 2012. And we built a data infrastructure company. Um, we Launch. We served developers. We did the whole product market fit iteration, and ultimately, um, one of our customers, Groupon, saw so much value in what we were doing that they wanted to acquire us for the technology and have our team come and be the data engineering team there. And uh, you know, that, that was the whole start arc of the startup journey. So it's a long story, but you know, at the end of the day, it was just really positive to see that we a group of people worked so hard building something that we knew would be useful and solve a problem. That was validated by Groupon, which one, was one of the fastest growing startups of all time at the time. And then, you know, being part of the team at Groupon, we got to see life inside of a young public company. We got to see the challenges of operating at scale. I think they expanded from like, you know, 50 people to 10,000 people across 50 countries within two years. Uh, and, you know, most importantly, we had a, a, a great team. Um, that was you know, amazing to work with. And they've all gone on to do really impressive things since then. And we're all close friends and, and part of a strong network together. So that was a, you know, a great first um, startup journey where we, we had some success. And you know, we, we've also seen the, the tough part of the startup journey as well um, in our careers.
2: Totally. And it's great that you're bringing all of that experience into the blockchain space. And with that, it seems like everyone kind of has that light bulb moment where crypto just clicks. Can you tell us a little bit about that moment for you?
1: Yeah. So I think um, I'd always been been interested in Bitcoin kind of passively or as a small Bitcoin holder um, from the, the early days, but really it was with the rise of ethereum around 2016 that the light bulb kind of clicked for me and, and my co-founder eric would be we went deep to understand what it enabled and the i think the real moment when we realized everything was changing was uh, this wasn't just money it was actually a developer platform and the really powerful thing is that for the first time we saw how you can embed economic incentives into open source software you could get people to actually contribute to software to benefit from its rising adoption and actually incentivize people to run this software and form networks uh, based on it. And that was that was a huge light bulb moment for us because it really wasn't possible without um, kind of blockchain, coordinated protocols, and systems. Um, and open source is so important because uh, you know we had felt so much pain building on closed proprietary platforms that control distribution and controlled your economics. And we we really were burned by that and and said, you know, never again. And now we had, you know, not just open source software, but open source software with economic incentives embedded. And that was a a powerful light bulb moment for us that, uh, you know, eventually led to the creation of BlackBerry.
2: Amazing. Yeah, I think protocols are going to grow really expansive beyond what any kind of centralized company can. I would love to kind of dive into LivePeer. I think what would be best for those unfamiliar with LivePeer is to maybe hear the thumbnail sketch of that founding story. How did it start and what's unique about LivePeer?
1: Yeah, so LivePeer kind of emerged out of um, the whole experience that uh, my co-founder Eric and I had working on two startups previously. So I already mentioned, you know, successful data infrastructure startup. And then um, after that, we worked on this kind of mobile native publishing platform that, as I mentioned, got a little bit burned by building on closed platforms. We relied on Google and Facebook and Pinterest and Twitter to open up their native publishing platforms and standardize, and they, they really never did. And we, you know, we're never able to be part of the change that we saw coming in that world. Um, and at the same time, we had done a lot of video engineering in this this native publishing platform because video was becoming such a big medium on the internet. We felt some of the, the pains in scaling video and operating it. um uh, scale both from a cost perspective and from an engineering perspective. And so when we were um, really becoming... Highly interested in, in Ethereum and, and seeing what was possible on this open development platform, and we saw this kind of emerging Web three stack. While we also had this deep interest in video and live streaming, and how video is going to play such a big role in the future of the world, um, we said, "Well, this is really powerful." And there's there's no video layer in this Web three stack. There's no streaming layer. You know, there's a smart contract platform in Ethereum. There's money in the form of you know, Ether and stable coins, there's storage platforms that are emerging, like uh, IPFS and Swarm and Filecoin, but there's no real-time layer, there's no streaming layer, and video is 80% of the, the bandwidth on the internet and, and the way that most people communicate and get entertainment and participate in the world economy. Uh, and we said, well, we think there's actually a huge opportunity here to create an open network that can you know, power 80% of the, the traffic on the internet uh, in the form of video and video streaming. And so that's how we, we got the idea to begin to research whether something like Live Gear would be possible. And, you know, we spent six months um, researching, learning uh, you know, deep about video technology, deep about protocol design. We designed a um, uh, Live Gear protocol. We published a paper. We released a prototype. Uh, and, you know, it was really at that point that we said, yes, this is what we want to commit. You know, the next, uh, you know, phase of our lives and careers too, because we're really excited about it. Uh, we're on a mission to build the world's open video infrastructure, um, something we're passionate about. And that's, that's kind of how live came to be. So after, you know, all that digging and learning and research and prototyping, uh, we had something that we were convinced, we're convinced, uh, could work and was possible. And uh, at that point, we had the commitment and we've been at it ever since for the last four plus years
2: amazing yeah i think streaming is going to be a huge part of the decentralized web which we call web3 and i, I think that it already is becoming that and i am noticing a lot of growth within the live peer community so can you maybe just expand on where that organic growth is coming from and what people are using live peer for today
1: yeah absolutely so uh, just to summarize live peer a little bit so listeners have an understanding we're a video infrastructure uh, you know Know what that means? Imagine someone building a video application that looks like TikTok or Twitch or YouTube. Um, they need an infrastructure under the hood to do all of the heavy video stuff to get that video, videos that users are creating captured and streamed across the internet and converted into all the different protocols so they can play on every different device type and connection speed. And that infrastructure requirement is—it's really heavy. It takes you know thousands and thousands of servers to operate a a site like one of those video platforms at scale. It takes content delivery networks. Um, It takes a lot of different technology. So Livepeer just aims to be the open version of this infrastructure and the user is any developer or streaming application that needs a video infrastructure to to power their experience. Uh, And they can just use the Livepeer network directly on an open, permissionless, pay-as-you-go-way. And so that's what Livepeer is. So... You mentioned growth in the community. There's actually kind of two types of communities in live here. There's the supply side community. So that's who's actually participating in our network and, and how are they creating this video infrastructure? And this is the, all of the node operators and token holders out there who uh, run the live node software in order to create this, this video infrastructure. They do it because they earn money there and the fees that users are paying into the network. And that growth is coming from uh, the cryptocurrency community. Particularly, it's coming from cryptocurrency miners, people who use GPUs or graphical processing units to mine cryptocurrencies like Ethereum. Um, those GPUs that they have happen to have video encoding chips on them that can't mine Ethereum. They just sit there doing nothing while these miners are mining. And so my peer. Let's them earn additional revenue by using those those video encoding chips to encode video for live here, without disrupting their cryptocurrency mining, and that's a killer value proposition. It's almost like a no brainer for them. And so there's millions of these cards around the world. These miners join our network. They compete to you know encode video streams, and they give this network its scale, its reliability, and its cost effectiveness um, for the the users on the other side which are the demand-side users. These are the actual users of our video infrastructure. Um, and so we've seen uh, a lot of growth on this side recently. This is uh, people developing applications, like I said, that look like a Twitch or a TikTok or a YouTube and need a video infrastructure. Uh, the, the target customers: user-generated content platforms. These are... Uh, Apps where they let their users create streams often for free. There's actually many users streaming at one given time. I'm happy to give some, some examples. Um, uh, and the reason that they really value live Fears infrastructure is because it's cost effective. It's, you know, 10x cheaper than, you know, do it yourself options and can be even, you know, up to 50x cheaper than cloud platforms. Um, and also because of the philosophical alignment with being open and sometimes blockchain-based is really empowering. And, you know, we're seeing a growing number of applications choose to build on live here because of these these value propositions. And, you know, it's been exciting to see kind of each week setting new all-time highs in terms of these.
2: Totally amazing. Yeah, I think we're seeing kind of a mass exodus from Web 2 into Web 3 as kind of the infrastructure becomes more and more robust. Uh, but I know that LivePeer is kind of plans on expanding that core video technology beyond just transcoding. Can you expand on that? What other services uh, is LivePeer aspiring to add to the network?
1: Good question. So we have a pretty you know exciting and ambitious roadmap. It's a long-term project and, and video infrastructure with many different elements. So it'll take years and years to hit everything. But some of the things that are coming up really soon that I'm excited about are uh, other forms of video-centric compute beyond just transcoding, particularly anything that's AI and machine learning-based because these these GPUs that happen to be really good at transcoding video also can run these AI tasks to do really smart things like video, like um, do content detection to help with moderation so they can identify, is this content streaming likely to be adult content or violent content or copyrighted content? And these are really important features and capabilities for anyone creating, you know, a UGC platform like a Twitch, because, you know, they have hundreds of users streaming at one time. Unless they're going to have humans watching and moderating all of them, they, they really need to know if someone happens to be streaming adult content or something that's copyright, uh, infringing content, um, you know, with some automated AI based assistance. Um, otherwise they, you know, can uh, put their users at risk. They can, uh, you know, really damage their reputation and the the uh, high-quality reputation that their app has built up over all the years. And so the fact that our network can do this almost for, you know, at the same time as transcoding almost for free compared to paying a service like Google or Amazon services, you know, 6 or $9 an hour per stream to do it, is a, is a real superpower that enables these UPC platforms. So that's you know one example uh, of what I'm excited about. Another is um, expanding more into how these open peer-to-peer networks can help with the content delivery problem. And we've seen lots of you know, content delivery uh, you know approaches in the blockchain space when it comes to to files and documents. Uh, we haven't yet seen viable, decentralized content delivery for live streaming video. Um, but we have lots of ideas about how you know, peer-to-peer networks can help with that. We can move traffic and reliance on centralized CDNs into more cost-effective peer networks. And you know we have a bunch of uh, research projects and, and concepts going on in that space as well.
2: Amazing. Yeah, I would love to double-click on that because censorship resistance is something that has been in the news a lot of we as we've seen different individuals get deplatformed. i would love to kind of hear your thoughts on censorship resistant live video because that's extremely empowering but then it could also be dangerous if it goes into the wrong hands so i'd love to understand your your thoughts on that
1: aha a deep thorny question <laughs> that i am <have>, um yeah i've <laughs> thought a lot about obviously and, and written a lot about so uh you know, I think in the early days, I was very optimistic about the benefits of censorship-resistant video. I, I really like to hone in and focus on the, the positive use cases, things like censorship-resistant journalism that can help the you know, truth get out of what's going on on the ground in war zones or within oppressive, oppressive regimes. Um, you know, thought a lot about um, some of these grassroots movements that were occurring around the world and how important it was to be able to to, you know, communicate freely and openly and, and thought we could enable a lot of that, um, you know, over time, and, and I still do believe that those are all positive and great products can and should exist that can enable that. And those things, you know, can have a home on and, and be built on live here. Uh, all that said, probably one of my most, you know, contrarian views when it comes to just kind of initial surface level um, ideology in the crypto space is that I, I ultimately don't believe that a censorship resistant YouTube um, leads to a lighter place in the world than kind of the darkness that gets created and that you incur occur along the way. Right. I think, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, the more examples you see, the the deeper you go in the space, you realize if there's, if there's no moderation whatsoever, whether that moderation is provided by a community set of ideals or consensus or you know, a product owner, for example, then uh, you really lead to a very dark place very quickly. And you just imagine what the you know homepage of the censorship resistant YouTube looks like. If any video can be posted by anyone and, and show up in time, you won't be, if you want to, you can't imagine how much harmful content uh, populates these, any social site, as soon as they reach some, some level of scale. So, you know, it's a, it's a tricky and complicated issue, but ultimately, you know, what I've written about and what I've arrived at is that a, each layer in the stack, ranging down, you know, from protocol to like the bottom, which should be totally neutral and unbiased and unopin- unopinionated and data is just data all the way up to the, you know, applications and distribution points for those applications, which actually have to be very opinionated and have to have some community consensus around what their purpose is, what they stand for and what their, their moderation policy is that likely does have to comply with you know, local laws, regulations, and just sensibility for, you know, uh, providing a good purpose to society. Um, I think you have different responsibilities at these different layers. And my peer as an infrastructure falls at the spot where you want to give any operator on this network, the controls and configurations to basically, um, you know, make their own decisions about, um, uh, what type of of content they're comfortable um, using, their are balancing compute power on, right? And that means, you know, giving people configurations and controls, configuring block lists and allow lists, being able to potentially tap into community-moderated services that, um, you know, could provide some of this this moderation or history or reputation or evidence of use uh, for them. And that allows, you know, an open network and open technologies to exist. But the best, you know, community practices and, and consensus to form around, you know, what it will ultimately be used for. And I think, you know, we all have a responsibility to think about these things to work on the right controls and solutions to ensure that what we're building can be used to really benefit society and, and not cause harm.
2: Absolutely. I love that. And then I think, you know, the vision and mission that you originally laid out for LivePeer is grandiose and kind of becoming the world's open video infrastructure. And I would love to just ask you, you know, what does the world look like when LivePeer ultimately fulfills this mission and and most of the, the video content is streamed via LivePeer?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's exciting. I think it's you know, I, I think of it beyond video. I think about people's opportunity to participate in the the economy and the workforce, and to monetize their time, and kind of what the future of work looks like. And I think we we've seen this year more than ever how critical a role of video plays in that, as we've all been separated, and all of a sudden it became clear to people, hey, we don't all need to live in the same place and, and go work in the same office to be productive. Uh, you know, we see the rise of DAOs in the, the crypto community you see how these organizations are forming all around the world. And there's going to be you know, thousands or millions of these, these organizations that form in this global way. And video is the way that they you know, communicate to their teams, they communicate to their communities, they communicate to their customers and users. And you know, it's how we learn, it's how we get entertainment. And so one thing that's been limiting, you know, without an open video infrastructure, is actually the cost to create. These video applications. Um, there's lots of different workflows, but just to give a simple example, you know, doing video streaming, video recording through a cloud service costs three dollars an hour per stream, or more, kind of across the board from all the cloud services. That's really expensive. I mean, imagine you create an application where you have a hundred users that want to stream at once. You're paying three hundred dollars an hour, and if you're not you know, charging these users to do that. Or you're not monetizing them directly because they all have a few viewers that you're, you're underwater. These, these applications can't exist. And so all these creators, these educators, these people who want to, you know, get their content out or teach or, or participate in the economy in some way just can't do it because the, the platform can't exist to support them and, and let them do that. Whereas with an open video infrastructure like live Period, that's really cost effective and scalable. Now all of a sudden you can build all of these vertical streaming applications for you know, different creator economies, whether that's for musicians or artists or teachers or lecturers or you know freelancers who have a skill where they want to you know, uh, provide a service over video. Uh, now all these things can exist and they don't need to be charging their users. Their users can actually be earning and forming better economic relationships with their viewers, with the platforms themselves. And I think that's what you know, live peer is a key element of that because it's, you know, the video element and video is important. But the whole web three or D web movement is about that. You have projects like, you know, the graph that are providing data indexing and querying um, to allow these applications to access the data layer. Um, you have storage networks, you have bandwidth exchange networks and communications networks. Um, you know, all these, all the you have know, monetization mechanisms that these creators can use. And all of this is going to enable kind of a new digital-first global um, economy, and, and you know I'm excited for black 3 to be a part of that.
2: Absolutely, yeah, I'm I'm excited for this future, and I think that there this innovation within Web3 still looks a little bit weird and kind of over in the corner but it's about to change everyone's lives and I think when that happens it'll happen suddenly and I think that live peer will be a big part of that among many of the other protocols you mentioned. Um, You've built through many bear markets alongside a lot of other visionaries like Vitalik, Hayden, Kane, Yaniv. I would love for you to share maybe your favorite story from one of those bear markets.
1: Uh (laughs) Ah The bear market. Um, what's interesting is like, I feel like people from the outside who kind of just watch price, if you will, hone in on this fact that, oh, there was this, this big, dark, scary bear market. And what was it like to go through that? But what I found, you know, for ourselves and our team and and for a bunch of the people that you just mentioned, for the, the builders, it actually, you know, in, in many ways was kind of non-existent and in many ways it's actually a great time mm-hmm. <laughs> to build. Um, I think that it's exhibited by like the DevCon, uh, which is the big Ethereum developer conference that occurs every year, how different it feels during the, the bear market era where um, it's all builders who are there to like collaborate on, on great technical advances and to figure out how to push this industry forward. And there's like a shared sense of excitement and an inevitability about what we all know is, is coming because of what's being built versus when you go to a, a DevCon during a, a you know, raging bull market and, and maybe Bitcoin Miami felt like this to some uh, last week as an example where uh, there's a lot less attention on what's being built and, and real usage and, and progress. And instead it's just more you know, celebration of price and wealth that's been, been accumulated, which, you know, certainly brings its advantages to the space in terms of attracting talent and nature attention, but also, you know, it's pretty pretty distracting and superfluous relative to, to what's going on. So I wish I I wish I had a great story <laughs> to share that was, like, distinctive to, to bear market, but I think, um, you know, it's really been more about uh, you know, just, just putting your heads down, keep building, keep making a virus storage
2: Yeah, I love that. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I personally kind of love bear markets because it's all signal, no noise. Everyone's just there building towards a similar mission. And um, it's just kind of nice to be in that. But I do agree, you need the cycle where a lot of capital flows in so that more and more innovation can come. Uh, So it's definitely an exciting ride being in the crypto space and living through all of it. Um, you've You've touched on this, but I want to kind of double click There's, you know, decentralization is a buzzword that you hear a lot, but I would love to just understand why is decentralization important to you?
1: Good question. There's a lot of benefits of, you know, decentralization that are kind of always, always that good. I think there's, you know, reduced single points of failure, uh, reduced the concentration of power and and these sorts of things. I think, you know, one that's maybe the most exciting when it comes to what, uh, Kind of crypto economics enables is this notion of like, aligned network ownership. You can you can allow the people who are helping to operate the network, build the network, actually uh, be significant owners in it, and you know benefit from its its growing adoption and usage. Um, I think you know the financial aspects of that are, are really powerful and can be really catalyzing. But I, I think one that's maybe underestimated is is just how empowering that can be, where you are—you know that you're part of something, you know that you're working towards a mission, and, and you actually have a tremendous ability to impact it and help will it into existence. It's like that empowerment is what gives people purpose and motivation and drive. It's ultimately, I think, a lot of what leads to people's sense of happiness um, with their their day-to-day. And that's just so much um, easier and more powerful and a decentralized Project or, or network uh, than it is in a very strongly centralized power structure where kind of very few have the ability to actually you know make an impact feel empowered and um, you know, have a sense of control in their destiny and, and that's a, just a you know, huge um, game changing thing that's really accelerated and enabled by crypto economics.
2: Absolutely, I would love to kind of hone in on the early decisions made and. What made you decide to build Livepeer on Ethereum?
1: So, looking back to 2016, like Ethereum was it. There was there was no other smart contract platform. There there was nothing that had remotely the developer uh, attention. And you know, we almost chose Ethereum before we chose Livepeer. Right. The, the first thing we did before committing to life here was we built open source projects in the ethereum space um things that we learned were needed things that we thought we were needed things that were solving little problems for other people building on ethereum um and you know really we, we just got excited about everything that was enabling and, and wanted to be part of it while at the same time recognizing this opportunity for for a uh, you know, video stack was, was there and was something we were highly motivated by um so, yeah, I think, I think Ethereum almost came before live here in our hearts and minds. Um, and it really was the, um, the developer community. Um, and, you know, as developers ourselves, that was, um, something we felt, you know, really excited to be a part of.
2: Absolutely. Do you feel like that developer community is still thriving on top of Ethereum today?
1: I do. It's incredible. I mean, you look at, um, the advances that are getting made, not just in, you know, kind of the hot trends like DeFi, where, you know, it's moving a mile a minute and new projects launching every single day, but also at the kind of core infrastructure layer when it comes to layer two scaling and moving towards ETH ETH 2.0, but also independent scaling projects. And everything ends up getting anchored back to Ethereum. It's where the best developer experiences, the best tools are. It's the settlement layer for all the the assets. Um, And even when you see projects kind of going, orthogonal uh, to Ethereum, building their own their own chain, what's the first thing they always build? It's always the bridge that connects back to it, to Ethereum and that's just, uh, you know, it's such a it's such a mode that's so hard to, to cross and recreate. It's, it's that developer um, community It's it's one of Ethereum's greatest advantages.
2: Absolutely. And I know Livepeer was one of the first projects to build subgraphs on the graph and I think that you all are just like true risk takers within the community of risk takers. And I would love to just understand kind of what was that decision like? Why did you decide to start building using the graph?
1: Yeah, talk about another no-brainer here. I mean, the, gra- the graph solves a, a real problem that any, um, I'll use app developer, decentralized app developer faces, which is you want to build your app on the blockchain. You want it to be populated by blockchain data uh, because that's where the truth is. And that's you know what can never be changed or stopped essentially but it's not performant enough just to be reading tons of data from the watching every time the user takes an action in your app and so what you need is you need this service that can you know index and store all of that data it can do aggregations it can um, make it available such that you can very quickly query it query a cache version of it and be really flexible in how you query it and lo and behold i think through an amazing you know job of product insight and early customer development and working with pilot partners, the graph emerged with a, a great solution for this and um, executed amazingly well to make that solution usable for people like Livepeer and other projects all along the way um, so that we could adopt it early and we could use it and we could get feedback and, and we could help inform what was important to us. Um, and you know, there was there's nothing else out there that enabled that. Um, so, yeah. Hats off to the graph for, for solving a real problem for us and many developers
2: in the space. Amazing. And I think that early feedback really helped to shape the graph into what it is today. So that's great. You were such early adopters. And I think today is also a very monumental day as LivePeer is one of the first dApps going live on the Graph's decentralized network. Um, can you just talk a little bit about what that means for Peer now that that infrastructure is truly decentralized?
1: Yeah, it's a huge milestone to the the graph, so congratulations for uh, for reaching there after many years of work. I think it's you know, I think for the graph, this is a great example of progressive decentralization. It's you have this vision for how to ultimately be fully decentralized. um, but you know, the software isn't built in today. It takes time, it takes customer development, it takes iteration, and that benefits a lot from the speed of centralized decision making execution and, and customer development. And so to see the graph take this huge step of going from, you know, always open software, um, but, you know, a hosted version that made it easy for us to use and share that feedback and inform the product to now, you know, being decentralized um, is a great step that leads towards all those future benefits of decentralization. Mm -hmm. And likewise for Live Gear and our users, it gives gives us that, you know, increasing decentralization because we no longer have this reliance on, you know, one single company hosting, you know, one gateway to one specific node, but instead we can rely on this this open and unstoppable network, secured by the crypto economics and all the incentives that the graph operators have to to keep my peers' data up and running, available on a global basis. And and I really think that's the the key value prop that we're getting out of this. It's kind of the unstoppability. It's you know our our application that our users use doesn't go down a single service goes down, it's it's always going to be available. The data that they need are going to make real-time pricing information or real-time pricing decisions. is always going to be there for them. Um, yeah. And that's that's like a superpower that comes from decentralization. So that's, it's great for us. It's great for the graph. It's great for the whole ecosystem.
2: Absolutely. One thing I'm kind of reflect back on my career trajectory, and I wish I could kind of go back and tell myself to only work with CEOs that are technical. And some of the best CEOs I've worked with are very technical. And I think it's great that you have that skill set. So can you speak to that? How has that technical ability shaped your time as CEO?
1: Yeah, so I have a, you know, computer science background, and I've always been a, a software engineer even before i knew what that was and i was you know building little games and yeah you know, um on my first computer and stuff and it's it's always been you know in my dna and how that manifests itself is that in like the early days of a project like live here it's very it's very technical engineering and product centric from the beginning right we we did six months of research to convince ourselves that this was even possible and that was all technical research and prototyping um you know we we designed the protocol ourselves. We built the first prototype, both of the you know, blockchain smart contracts protocol and the, um, you know, video software ourselves. And it's, it's kind of that native technical third first authenticity that lets you build a, a technical product and platform for developers and lets you do customer development with your, your users who are, um, you know, people building things themselves. And, you know, as we've scaled a bit, it's it's kind of critical, to be honest, with myself and ourselves that as a company that is in our DNA, the company has to be built around this technical fir- first culture. Otherwise, we'll just be, um, you know, inorganic to who we are and how we can be as leaders and how the team can, can respond to something that would be unauthentic or, or inorganic. So it is very much, you know, the technical nature is very much at the core of what we're doing. Um, I think there's a flip side to this, which is, You know, I personally have, you know, never been super successful at, you know, building out a lot of the other functions within the the business that extend beyond, you know, product and engineering, technical research and technical vision. And that's why it's been super important for me to to recognize that and to recruit great, uh, you know, experienced leaders into the team to help. Uh, build out those functions. I know that, you know, me trying to do it myself probably uh, would would not lead to successful outcomes.
2: I resonate with that a lot. I think I kind of take Ray Dalio's mindset when it comes to this. And instead of spending, you know, 10 years growing your strength, your weaknesses by an incremental amount, instead just focus on your strengths and hire people who are strong where you are weak. So I think it's great. And that's also another characteristic of a, a great leader is being able to recognize that. So that's great. I would love to maybe shift gears and chat a little bit about fundraising. I know you've closed over 11 million for Live Peer, and we'd love to hear really you just kind of share that experience with list listeners. I, being in Silicon Valley, kind of take this mindset and skill set for granted, but I would love to just understand what that fundraising was like for you.
1: Sure. So I think, um, you know, across three startups, I've, I've been part of probably, you know, Seven or eight fundraising rounds now. It's amazing. is how it's different every single time. <laughs> it, it really depends so much on the you know the stage you're at as a company, the uh, the market that you're going after, and where that <laughs> market is in the uh, kind of maturity, awareness, and, and hype cycle. I've tended to build on uh, like forward-thinking fringe technologies where the rollout plays to learn so much about something that is going to be big and I get to play the role of educating everyone through the fundraising process on why it's going to be big, what the opportunity is and how we're going after and and getting in there. So typically when I'm, when I'm fundraising, I'm often teaching um, the the people on the other end about something that's new and exciting and and they value that whether they end up participating in the round or not. Um, And I think that's a, a good position to be in when you're, you're working on something forward thinking uh, that is fringe technology but the side effect of that or the consequence of that is um, you know we're, we're ambitious we're going after a big mission but you don't always pattern match into the traditional business metrics that someone may expect to see at a, a certain stage whether it's a series a a or seed or um, because there is a big build ahead of you and so you really need people to believe in you to make a bet on the team to make a bet on the, the market that you're going after and the opportunity and to want to of it, right and with, with live here we said well we believe in the future um all great applications are going to be built on these open uh cost effective you know infinitely scalable web3 resources and live here and we believe video is going to be really big i know by the way live here is the video layer of this web3 stack and so we believe in that you want to want to participate um so you know that's a little bit about like me and how i think about fundraising the position we found ourselves in um as i mentioned it's different every time so you know when we kind of raised the first small round for live peers before anyone knew anything about <laughs> ethereum blockchain um web3 um it was you know just a, just a small round to kind of seed and, and get us going but we had a lot of credibility from previous entrepreneurial success um, and so we're, we're able to put that together. Contrast that to the second time we raised, which was at the height of ICO madness. And um, that was one of the easiest and fastest rounds I've ever put together. But we pro- actively made the decision not to raise nearly as much capital as could have been available, because we really thought, you know, valuations were bloated, it'd be very hard to, to kind of you know, high valuations and upside relative to the progress we had. So we just kind of selected good partners to do the, the round that was needed to kind of hit our next milestones. And then um, in the you know last round we raised was one of the kind of the most creative we had to do because that was when we recognized, hey, we're not just an open protocol anymore. We're not just this token coordinated network in order for this to succeed. We also need to build a company that creates products and services to help the existing $70 billion video industry adopt. And that product, that, that company will, you know, certainly drive value to the live peer token, but it also, um, you know, will, will create and capture some value that's independent of the token. And therefore it probably should have an equity uh, based investment structure and have you know, investors who um, are aligned around value capture. And so, uh, that that was kind of a, a different creative process than uh, we, had, we had done in the past. So, you know, but a little bit of everything, but uh, it's never it's never the most fun part of being a, a founder, but it's a necessary one. It's an important job as the CEO to make sure the capital you need to execute on the vision. So I just try and keep that in mind every time I have to uh, yeah, fill, up, fill up the bank account.
2: Totally. And it's also kind of building your tribe and, and the voices that will be around you, which is really kind of a, an exciting opportunity and I think like what you did is a lot of good leaders turn away a lot of, fl- of funding and not inflating valuations just because they can. And I think in crypto, because community is so important, I think that's especially important. Um, I would love to understand how you kind of chose between tokens versus equity. I personally believe tokens are the next evolution of the business model, but I think it's going to take people a lot longer to get their minds around tokens as compared to how long it took them to get their minds around SaaS, so I'd love to just kind of learn more about your experience choosing between equity and tokens.
1: Yeah, so um, to- we never like chose between the two. We actually have both, <laughs> and um, tokens were inherent in the live peer protocol design from the, the origins of the project. Right, we believe, in the, just like you believe that token um, coordinated networks. Um, have this real superpower of decentralizing the, you know, the economic alignment between the, um, uh, you know, people who are contributing to the network, operating on the network and the, you know, the network's value capture itself. And so, you know, from the get-go, the Lifecare protocol was a, a token-oriented model and we chose not to sell any equity, um, in the business because we didn't know that if a business would be necessary or, um, ever would need to exist, right? And it was, you know, during the first two years that LivePay was live, um, it's been live over three years now, which is crazy. Uh, you know, it was all token-oriented, which was really powerful in building the supply side of the network, getting people to run nodes and operate on the network. What didn't happen was it wasn't a, if you build it, they will come scenario, right? Our users are are not crypto-oriented token enthusiasts, our users are video developers who might not know or care about blockchain at all necessarily, especially yet before it's permeated the industry. And uh, we recognize, oh, this video industry, this live streaming industry is a $70 billion industry. There's so much demand out there that could, that could utilize our network. But if they're going to do that, there needs to be a company that creates the necessary products and services to go and fit into that industry and cater to that industry because the the Web3 industry alone uh, won't be driving a lot of demand to to live here anytime soon. And so when we recognize, oh, we need to create that company, it needs to have traditional uh, roles like uh, sales and BD and customer success and the the types of services that these industries need are not quite directly value-accruing to... The to- like token in its entirety, like um, you know, support contracts and SLAs and these sorts of things, um, that you know, that is actually better off as a kind of independent equity-based um, you know SaaS value capture. While well, at the same time, its superpower is that it's using the live peer network to create this scalable, cost-effective, reliable service. And so that's when we decided, okay, that will capture some value outside of the token. Um, they probably, you know, should have shareholders who, you know, will capture value both through the token and the equity itself.
2: Got it. Amazing. Well, I'm sure your story has really resonated with many listeners. I would love to ask you to maybe share some of LivePeer's short-term or medium-term needs. I know you mentioned hiring at the beginning of this call. Maybe you just expand on the roles you're looking to hire for and anything else.
1: Yep. So I think um the two roles that we um You know, most most urgently want to add are kind of two sides of two sides of the same coin. They're both related to go to market, Um, and but they're on the two different sides of Livepeer's project, right? So one is on the video side. Um, We're looking to wrap up our go to market and customer development when it comes to video developers, and so this is kind of your traditional um, developer facing SaaS product um, go to market person. We'd love to. To the team, and then on the, you know, the the crypto blockchain side, we think that the Web three Web three's time is now, right? We talked before about the emergence of things like the Graph and Filecoin and Skynet and Livepeer, and now developers can create this next wave of, you know, applications built on these Web three (coughs) technologies. And so we also, excuse me, we also like to add someone to the team to focus on a a more Web three crypto centric go to market. That can help developers build uh, on Web3 in its entirety and kind of push that whole industry uh, forward together. So yeah, if you're excited about talking to users and, uh, you know, Web3 and then go to market, then we'd love to, uh, talk with you a lot as well.
2: Amazing. And then how can people find LivePeer and how can people find you to get in touch with you?
1: Sure. Our website is livepeer.org and we're at org on Twitter. And then if you want to find me directly, I'm at PetKanics on Twitter. That's my last name, P-E-T-K-A-N-I-C-S. And you can reach out to me there anytime.
2: Amazing, Doug. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thanks, and This was great. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for
0: us don't hesitate to reach out we would love to hear from you there.